This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Adam Martel, CEO of Gravity. We found that because we were using the CRM as the primary tool for fundraising, it, it was limiting the number of donors that I could get to. The thesis was that if you could have your technology learn you instead of you learning your technology, you could change the way that frontline fundraisers and sales folks interact with their tools, and the tools could actually help them and, and be a multiplier for their efforts in building relationships. And that's really where we started, and we've come a long way since then. Blackbox, Salesforce, the Lucian, community brands, they're all selling CRMs. They're all selling the, the cup that holds the water, but nobody's doing anything with the water itself. We think that that's going to define the next five to 10 years of what happens in fundraising and nonprofit organizations. This isn't about gravity or other ISVs. It's about our, I mean, our customers. It's about the wonderful work that, that our customers are doing. And, you know, if we can accelerate, you know, cancer research, I mean, if, if, if we can help, you know, if we can help er eradicate HIV, I mean, if we can change the world and help these organizations change the world, I mean, we're, you know, it's our job to do that. And they don't need to fit into us. We need to accelerate them. This is Adam. During his career, Adam founded three companies, and he had a diverse and eclectic background in advertising, public relations, journalism, and collegiate athletic coaching. His passion, however, is with fundraising. Being a seasoned major gifts fundraiser himself, he has gained a deep and personal understanding of the challenges that all not-for-profit organizations face while trying to raise money to support their causes. And solving these challenges is his mission. Hence, he founded Gravity, a Boston-based artificial intelligence company developing products to revolutionize frontline fundraising at not-for-profit organizations. And during our interview, we explore how to unlock potential beyond the value conventional business software provides us, what drives the opportunity, and what mindset is required to uncover and create complete new markets. And by listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, that for AI to reach its full potential, it requires to change behaviors, not just provide insights. Secondly, that looking for abundance can provide the key to introduce transformative change. And thirdly, why UI-less experiences are the enabler for people to become far more powerful. So, to get the podcast started, Adam, can you give the audience a bit of background about yourself? Sure. So my name is Adam Martell. I'm the CEO of Gravity. And uh, prior to this, I was a frontline fundraiser most recently at, uh, at Babson College, the, the number one entrepreneurship school in the world. 
before that, I, I was a men's and women's collegiate volleyball coach and uh, I spent a lot of time uh, learning how to develop great teams. And, uh, and before that, I was in finance. And, and before that, I had started two businesses, one that I, I had sold and one that I failed at. Okay. So that's always good to fail yeah. something and to, uh, to then take all the experience into your new, uh, your new venture. So tell us about your new venture, your uh, Gravity as a company. What is, the, what is the big idea behind this? Sure. Yeah. So that, you know, we, we started about a year and a half ago. And the big idea was that all when I was a frontline fundraiser, we were really facing a, a challenge managing the number of donors that we had. So I, I was fundraising at Babson. We had 37,000 alumni and the top 10% of our alumni pool, around 3,700, made up about 90% of our donations. And the challenge that we were really facing was that we were only managing around 1,200 of those donors. So there were 2,500 donors that could make transformational gifts and really needed a personal touch, but we weren't getting to them. And what we found was that we were really anchored by our technology, you know, by, by our CRM and, and some of the tools that we had. And we just weren't getting to these donors as efficiently as possible. And I wasn't as efficient of, as a frontline fundraiser as I could have been. And when we looked at it and we boiled it down, we found that because we were using the CRM as the primary tool for fundraising, it, it was limiting the number of donors that I could get to because I had to go in, I had to run spreadsheets, I had to figure out which donors to get in front of. And then I had to do a whole bunch of research and then send emails out to the donors. And directionally, it was incorrect. So the thesis was that if you could have your technology learn you instead of you learning your technology, you could change the way that frontline fundraisers and sales folks interact with their tools. And the tools could actually help them and, and be a multiplier for their efforts in building relationships. And that's really where we started. And, and we've come a long way since then. Okay. I like your, uh, your tagline there. If you have technology, learn you instead of the other way around. That's exactly uh, the that's way right. it should be yeah. Myself, I come from the, from the ERP background. And of course, it's also all about, you know, the process and about the data, but it's all about the action of the user. And I can absolutely see what you've been struggling with there to, to do the work in the proper way. So, yep. um, yeah, I mean, all, all of these systems were, were developed for managers. You know, they weren't really developed for the actual users that are doing the work. And uh, they're great reporting tools, but man, they weren't developed for day-to-day -day work for fundraisers. Exactly. Yeah. So this is about, yeah, the core concept of what my podcast is all about, about uh, augmenting the unique strength of people. So you have fundraisers that do good work, that, that their job is to get, of course, a lot of funding for the cool projects that these not-for-profits typically are doing. And this is technology that actually helps them to do a better job, to, be get a, to become a better version of themselves, right? That's right. Yeah. So if you apply that, that technology... What is the impact of getting it really right? Uh, have you already got some, some early insight in terms of the difference between before and after? Yeah, I mean, we, so there, there are three metrics that we measure. One is, is total revenue. So, you know, are the algorithms predicting the right donors? And then are we helping frontline fundraisers change behaviors? And then finally, are we actually generating net new revenue? Uh, so we, we've seen increases with all of our customers in all three buckets. So we've been able to predict almost half the gifts that have come in, which means that if you were to remove all the frontline fundraisers and just use technology, half of the gifts that all nonprofits close, you know, could still be there if there were no people. And obviously that's not the goal, but, you know, when you're looking at artificial intelligence, the goal is really to mimic the cognitive functions of a person. Um, so the second is, is the fundraiser activity. Can we help frontline fundraisers get more activity? And uh, we've been able to prove that we could double portfolio sizes. We could double the amount of fundraiser or the amount of donors that fundraisers reach. And we're really doing that by you know making all the predictions and saving them a lot of time in the analytics that they have to do. So instead of them having to come into the office and figure out which donor to search for in the CRM, 
they come into the office and in their email, they have an email written to that donor, who is the most important donor in their portfolio. And we found that by removing the steps to get to that donor, we can help them get to more of the right donors at the right time. And then the third is, is net revenue. Every single one of our customers are net positive right now. So we're predicting the right donor at the right time. We're increasing activity for the frontline fundraisers. And what that's proven is that every, with all the customers is that if you get to the right donors at the right time and you help your best relationship builders build more relationships, that they're going to generate more revenue. And uh, we don't have a customer that, that's gone net negative yet. So we're, we're really encouraged by that. can imagine. <laughs> this, is, this is gold for those type of organizations at the end. And, uh, <laughs> that's and, right. And I agree with your point about um, the fact that, that artificial intelligence or, or the technology behind it shouldn't take over. That's exactly... Uh, the reason why I'm doing these podcasts to, to prove that it's about one and one is three rather than taking the person out. And I think what, right. you, what you do here is exactly also proving that it is about technology and the impact of people because that relationship piece is, is at the end something that people need to do as well. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Very Absolutely. It's all about relationships. Yep. So explain that, that journey from, from the, uh, the aha moment you had one and a half year ago until the point it was released and how did it go and what what steps did you take there yeah so you know they, they, it's funny because you, you never end up where you think you're going to end up and you never you know you always start where where there's an idea and where there's a challenge you're trying to solve but when, when we first started the company i mean we, we were building the product for me as a frontline fundraiser so I, I was getting my mba at the time and i met a guy in the wall in uh, the mba program who was getting his mba as well and and he had built portfolio analytics systems on Wall Street. And what he was doing was he was using a whole bunch of private data to make predictions about which stocks were going to pop the next day. And when I was telling him about the challenges that I was facing trying to manage more donors so I can raise more money, you know, he showed me some of the stock mappers that he was using. And that was the first version of Gravity. It was, it was taking the methodology that he had applied to a different sector and applying it to the challenges that I was facing. And, you know, we went through a process of building dashboards. So we built all these beautiful dashboards and we had the ability to predict which donors are going to make the next biggest gift. And we gave it, you know, I, I was using it. We were iterating based on my uses. Then we gave it to my, my colleagues at Babson. And we gave it to a few other folks and went out and started selling it. And it was selling. But what we found was that it, it drove the frontline fundraisers back into the system. So they weren't sending the emails out and, and trying to communicate with the donors. And what we learned was that we had to use artificial intelligence to change behavior. So it wasn't good enough just to provide insights. And what that really meant was that we had to, we had to deliver an AI-first experience. You know, it had to be where the frontline fundraiser was working. And that's when we, we sort of got to the solution of first draft, which was, you know, because in the platform, we could predict which donors are going to make the next biggest gift. Uh, from there, we could deliver it in an email. And then we found we could actually write the email on behalf of the frontline fundraisers. And we branded it first draft because, you know, fundraisers weren't comfortable with essentially having a self-driving car, um, but they wanted to be able to change the, the, the emails. They wanted to be able to edit them and, and personalize them. And so by being able to write the first draft of the emails, we found that we could actually change the behaviors of the frontline fundraisers. So where we started as a platform asking people to log in, what we really learned was that there's a three-screen principle. And that three-screen principle dictates that every person has three screens. They have their email, they have their calendar, and they have their CRM or their database of record at their job. They don't want a fourth screen regardless of what it does for them. So all the insights that you have on these platforms has to be delivered in one of the three screens that are there. And that's, uh, you know, and, and that sort of changed the, the course of our company. Uh, so instead of us competing with Salesforce or BlackBot or any of these, you know, exactly. big CRMs, we're, com we're completely accretive and we're selling to a set of users that nobody has ever sold to before with the frontline fundraisers. Okay. That's an interesting one in itself. So yeah. BlackBot and, and Salesforce are not, are not selling to the frontline fundraisers. 
That's right. No, so when you, when you think about CRMs, every CRM, you know, the thesis of CRMs is that organizations should have a CRM so it holds data. And what the CRMs have conditioned us all to do is buy more data to make the CRMs bigger so they generate more revenue. But yeah. what we believe is that we're at the point now where we, the CRMs are so big at all these organizations, we need to start using the fuel that we have. So we've spent 15 years accumulating data. Now we need yep. to make that data actionable to drive revenue. And so, you know, BlackBot, Salesforce, the Lucian, community brands, they're all selling CRMs. They're all selling the, the cup that holds the water, but nobody's doing anything with the water itself. And so what we wanted to be was the, the outlet of all of this data. And really, we want to be using some of it like we use fuel. You know, we, we need to be we need to start burning this data so we can get to the point where we're generating something that's useful because data for data's sake is, is, is not good enough. True. Exactly. And you're indeed right. They build, they're all building up a big lake and that lake is just doing nothing. That's right. It's sucking resources because it, it costs more to maintain. And that's what we're seeing is that all these organizations are hiring all these data scientists and analytics folks and, and back-end programmers, but they're not focused on the people who are generating revenue off of that data. And those are the people that we want to build tools for because I, we think that that's going to define the next five to 10 years of what happens in fundraising and nonprofit organizations. So it's interesting, an interesting journey in itself and also to see that the original idea turned out to be something different. So Steve Jobs quotes, innovation is not about saying yes to, to the right things. It's about saying no to a lot of things. What did you say no to? Yeah, so I mean, we've said no to so many different things. You know, because we're playing in fundraising, most uh, a lot of the nonprofits out there are smaller. So a lot of them want segmentation solutions. They want marketing solutions. So one person can get to a whole bunch of donors at scale. And, you know, everybody kept asking us, well, this is great for top donors, but, you know, if, if my top frontline fundraisers can double their portfolio sizes, they're still only managing 240 donors. And what we found was that, you know, those donors are going to make, you know, 100 to 1,000 times the number of gifts and the amount of gifts than the smaller donors, the $25, $50 donors. So where the entire market was asking us to look at the bottom of the giving pyramid, the $25, $50, $100 donors and build tools to solve challenges for volunteers or peer-to-peer -peer fundraising like everyone else was doing, we, you know, we said no. And we said, hey, we're going to focus on the very top and we're going to solve problems specifically for the few frontline fundraisers that you have to make them important and, and to make them uh, really efficient. So uh -huh. saying no is, it has really been, uh, you know, at the core of everything we do. And we think we can be great at a few things. And those few things are the most important things we believe in, in fundraising. Yeah. 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 It's so easy to just follow the, the typical requirements of your feedback and then end up with doing a lot of things not so, not so good. I completely agree right. with you. Yeah. And that segmentation is crucial. So what were the, the, the real hard choices to make? You know, the, the, the real, real tough choices that we've had to make are, are, are twofold. One is, is what to build, you know, because when we first started the company, I mean, everybody, everybody was talking about AI, but nobody really knew what AI was going to do. And even to this day, I mean, we're one of the first companies who have actually productized artificial intelligence. So, we have a, a suite of three AI products that allow us to go out and sell, you know, we allow us to go out and sell these actual products that people can see and feel and, and sort of play with, with first drafts and self-writing emails. But one of the biggest challenges that we faced, you know, at the beginning was, was creating a market, you know, and creating an, an entire segment where we're saying, listen, you know, the way the entire world is working right now is wrong. I mean, we, we shouldn't be adding more data to our databases and spending money there. We should be building tools to help our people be more efficient. I mean, it, it was essentially the equivalent of, you know, before the iPhone was released, somebody saying, oh, you know, we should put our Walkman and our, our, our digital camera and our, uh, our phone all together and plug it all in and, and, and make it one device. And, 
you know, everyone was rolling their eyes saying, oh, there's no way that'll ever work. And that's all we have now, you know? So the biggest challenge that we face is truly saying, hey, listen, there's a better way. And it's possible that we've all done this insufficiently to this point. And maybe we can make a dent in the world together if we try something new. And uh, that new thing was artificial intelligence for frontline fundraisers. Actually, I agree. So what techniques do you to use with your team to keep them on the path of, of finding things and doing things in a radically different way to reimagine what's, yeah, what could be at the end? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the biggest areas I think we really excel at is having really great domain expertise and domain knowledge and fundraising. You know, again, artificial intelligence and machine learning have been so broadly used and broadly applied to so many different sectors that, you know, it's really hard to decipher what is and what isn't artificial intelligence and machine learning. And for us, you know, because we know fundraising so well, uh, you know, I, I, we built this for me as a frontline fundraiser. Our head of sales worked with me at Babson, and she was one of the most amazing fundraisers that I had ever worked with. And she knows these problems that customers are having. So we spend a whole bunch of time with our customers. We learn from them. We ask them questions. And we try to see the challenges that they're having, regardless of whether they're articulating those challenges or not. You know, because we're, we're trying to build something that nobody's ever seen before. So we can take their feedback and use it. But their feedback is only as good as, as, as the 20 minutes or half an hour that they spend thinking about us. And, and it's not their job to, to build these products. It's ours. No. Uh, and it's really our job to listen. So I think we really try to create great feedback loops and uh, try to spend a lot of time with our customers and just learn. And we have a culture of, of just not being complacent and trying to learn as much as possible. True. Yeah, that's, that's a gold thing at the end. Because customers will only say what they, what they are accustomed to. And they, at the end, they want, right. to, they want a better CRM at the end. That, that, that's exactly what it is. They, they, they want a more beautiful user interface right now. And our thesis is that the user interface is commoditized. They, we, we, they don't need a better user interface. They need a tool that does something for them. Yeah, I mean, I, my, in my previous uh, job, um, the, the phrase went, round, went around and it was about, it was all about a better user interface. It was actually challenging that whole phenomena of user, user experience by stating the best UI is no UI. So how can you build something where there is no UI at all? That's it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, exactly. you know, creating, yeah, I mean, creating an AI first experience. I mean, everything we do now happens in email. So we've created a, a UI-less CRM experience where they, the, the frontline fundraisers can update data all within the CRM through these, these really smart links that we've created. Uh, and no, the world's never done this before and the world's never seen this before. But imagine, you know, moving a donor through the moves management pipeline all within email without having to log into the CRM. You know, it, you get emails from the yeah. CRM saying, hey, Ton, today's the right day to contact this donor. Here are all the data points that we think are relevant. This is, these are the ask amounts. And if you know better, you can give us feedback and, and put the human in the loop of artificial intelligence. But a UI-less CRM experience specifically for end users, we think is going to define the next uh, five to 10 years. Yeah, completely agree. So what are you most proud of to have delivered at, at this point in time? You know, entrepreneurship is, 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 is truly about ups and downs. You know, it, it's about, we call it riding a flat roller coaster, just trying not to get too high, trying not to get too low. But I think, you know, what I'm most proud of is, is building something that matters, you know, and, and, and not just on the tech product side and not just on the customer side, but, you know, on the team side with investors. I mean, we have people that have, have, have you know, given us time and money and, and, and empathy and compassion and kindness. We have customers that have gone to the end of the world to help us be successful. And, you know, I think I'm most proud of the relationships that we've built because it, we've built a team based on trust and wanting, you know, a, a common belief that we can do something better in the world when everyone's sort of telling us no. And 
I think to be able to build a team of customers, investors, employees, you know, stakeholders that care about us and care about the work we're doing. I mean, that that's probably what we're most proud of, and you know, as a team and as a culture. I like your vision there. <laughs> so, if you looking at what where you are right now and looking at where, where how the market is thinking, because definitely the market needs to change perspectives, because everyone is thinking one direction where they haven't figured out there's a there's an alternative approach. What advice would you give a um, a CEO of a of a not for profit? in terms of how to, yeah, the, the, the top three things to consider or to, to, to rethink. Yeah. So, the, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about top three, but the top one, particularly when it comes to technology is, you know, there are so many different technology tools out there. I, I think they want to, you know, as an executive director, as a leader of a nonprofit, you want to ask yourself, you know, really one fundamental question. And that question is, are you going to be serving this technology or is this technology going to be serving you? You know, are you going to have to spend all your time putting data into a database for no real positive upside that you can see, but people are promising? Or is this technology going to do something for you that will help you be better at your core job? Uh, because right now, you know, most executive directors split their time between board management and fundraising. And it, that's where they're spending the, the big bulk of their time. And what we think is that if we can take away a lot of those, the, the menial fundraising activities, we can free them up and liberate them to do more important things. And usually the things that they're really good at and the, 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 you know, at the core of why they got into that nonprofit experience at the beginning. So, you know, as we look at technology, I think the, the best suggestion is truly trying to figure out whether the technology is going to help you or whether it's going to take your time away and, uh, and make a decision really quickly about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and of course, I think there's also something happening right now with the waves of technology coming together. But by everybody was always expecting an improvement when they bought new technology. Like, there's going to be an improvement from a process perspective, from a UI perspective. But it was all sort of percentage-wise, like maximum 10% improvements. And we were happy with that. Where now, you can, can start to expect 10x improvements. And that's, I think, where a lot of people have to get used to. Yeah, that's right. Uh, absolutely. You know, a, a better UI is, is a, you know, maybe a, a half, a, you know, maybe a couple percentage points better. But uh, exactly. there are, you know, there's a magnitude shift and a, and a true fundamental shift in the way we work. And uh, that's going to require, you know, the self-driving cars. That's going to require the, you know, putting three devices together to get an iPhone. It's going to require that type of shift. And we haven't seen that yet in the fundraising space. I don't think until we got here. You know, everyone was trying to build a, a better CRM, like you said. And uh, there, there's a better way to do this. Yep. So if you then turn the page and, and look at your, your colleagues in the space, what would you advise an ISV to do? Yeah, absolutely. So do I nothing. Think, you know, the, the best <laughs> thing, yeah, no, 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 no. I, you know, I, I think the onus is on all of us to, to improve. I mean, as a vendor, you know, at the core of our vendor life are our customers. So I think that ISVs need to be really, really, really mindful of changing the conversation from, hey, you know, this is what I offer. Do you fit in or not? And trying to build technology that helps, you know, the organizations they're working with truly accelerate. Because right now we're seeing, you know, a lot of ISVs that are doing things the old way and doing a lot of things the old way, spending a lot of money and, and getting a lot of customers, but still, you know, facing the exact same challenges they faced 20 years ago. You know, and if, if the problems and challenges don't change, then, you know, is the solution really adequate? You know, I mean, we, we can keep, you know, hammering nails in a house and, and building houses with, with hammers, or we can buy a nail gun. You know, there's better ways to do things. And I think that ISVs really have to get smart and really try to move things forward. Because 
this isn't about gravity or other ISVs. It's about our, I mean, our customers. It's about the wonderful work that, that our customers are doing. And, you know, if we can accelerate, you know, cancer research, I mean, if, if, if we can help, you know, if we can help er eradicate HIV, I mean, if we can change the world and help these organizations change the world, I mean, we're, you know, it's our job to do that. And they don't need to fit into us. We need to accelerate them. Yeah, and that's exactly what the ultimate outcome is going to be with your product. It's not about helping those not, not-for-profits get more funding. It's, it's what they can do with that funding to, right. to do that job. And uh, if that's uh, doubled, like you're saying here, and uh, I mean, the, the numbers that you mentioned in the beginning of the, of the podcast, there's going to be some interesting things happening in this world. So that's, uh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. So what's next? I mean, where, where do you want to take the company or the, the product? What's the next big, big milestone for you? So there's three different places that we're looking. Uh, you know, one is obviously continuing to, to build out our core tech. You know, at the core of our technology, self-writing email and the learning and the refinement of those emails. You know, so when we make a suggestion about which donor to be in front of, we actually write the first draft of the email. We have algorithms that have the ability to track the changes that the user's making to our predictions to that email. And we're refining the writing styles with algorithms to match the writing style of each individual frontline fundraiser. And what that means is that every frontline fundraiser is now training their own model and the voices sound more like their voice. And truly what that means is that when they leave the nonprofit organization to take another job, like most folks do, the donor doesn't suffer with a brand new voice because the next fundraiser will pick up. They'll have some language from the last fundraiser. And we're finding that the continuity and consistency is really powerful. So. Yeah. You know, developing the core technology is one. Two is, is finding other ways to apply this core technology. Back about six months ago, we've been working with Leahy Hospital uh, in Boston, and they had a fundraiser leave uh, about six, seven months ago. He had been managing a portfolio that was about 240 donors worth about $1.4 million. And when he left, nobody picked up the portfolio because they couldn't hire a major gifts fundraiser in time to manage those donors. So nobody was managing these really high-end donors. And they asked us if we could generate first drafts. And they had an executive assistant send out these first drafts. And she generated over $100,000 in three weeks. And what that proved was that we could democratize fundraising to allow the skills of fundraising to be automated by us, but to allow the interpersonal communication of, of a person-to-person -person at scale you know, communication to be accessed by an executive assistant. So it was just, it, it, it's a great proof point. And I think we really want to explore not autonomous fundraising, but can we democratize fundraising to turn cost centers into revenue drivers at organizations? Wow. And that's really important. Uh, and then the third area is, is really looking at other places we can apply the technology. So we've been asked to take a look at admissions. You know, can we help admissions counselors focus on the right, the right prospect? And can we help, you know, all the data is there. Could we self-write an email to a prospect from an admissions counselor to say, hey, this is your top prospect. Here's what we think you should say. You can refine it. But can we help them get to more of those prospects so they can yield, you know, more of the top prospects they're going after by giving them a bit more attention? And uh, we're seeing some great applications there and in counseling and a few other areas. So we're exploring that. But right now we're hyper-focused on the fundraising space. And uh, I think we're going to stay there for a little while. I can imagine. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. So last question. If there was anything you could ask the audience, what would it be? Uh, that's a great question. I think, you know, I, I think we're always interested in how people want to change the world and, and believe that the world's going to be changed. You know, we, we found that, no, if you look at the New York Times over the last uh, 10 years, there was this great article I read, and if I can find it, I'll, I'll send it over. But it was about the, the New York Times and how they changed the articulation of self-driving cars. So 10 years ago, they, they were talking about it, and they were relating it to the Jetsons. And five years ago, they were talking about it and relating it to Google and some of the work that they were doing in AI. 
And just a couple of weeks ago, you know, they're talking about it saying, hey, you know, they're, they're, they're in San Francisco, you know, they're, they're in Cupertino, they're in Palo Alto. You know, and that conversation has changed. And, and I think what I'm really interested in and what I'd love to get the audience's feedback on is, you know, how do we work together to change the conversation from, you know, what can we buy and, and, and from technology and what can technology do for us to how can technology help us change the world and how can technology actually accelerate the work that we're doing and change us as people? Because, I, you know, it still feels like artificial intelligence and machine learning are, are broad phrases. And, you know, I, I think I would love to know, you know, as an AI company, as, as a practitioner of fundraising, how can we work together to use not just artificial intelligence and machine learning, but all technology to change the way we work to accelerate ourselves? And uh, I would, uh, I'd like to ask that. That's, it really sums up why I started this podcast in the first place. It's exactly, I've got exactly the same ask or quest cause to this because there's so much, so much fuzz about it, so much negativity almost created and fear being created about bots being a fear to us rather than a help taking over our jobs. I mean, all these, these research papers that come out stating that there are millions and millions of people going to to lose their job at the end. Where I think with examples like this, where it's really about one and one is three, that's what, what needs to be promoted. And that's where people need to get their energy from. So Absolutely. thank you very much for your inspiring story today. This was uh, really Tom, thank you for taking the time. Thanks. And I'm glad I did. And for everybody else that's listening, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Adam Martel, CEO of Gravity. You can find more about Adam in a variety of ways. First of all, of course, Twitter. His Twitter handle is at ARMartel. Of course, you can also find him on LinkedIn, but you can also go to their website, which you can find at www.gravity.com. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.